I do not exaggerate when I say I've listened to that song at least a few hundred times this week, okay? My, my definition of recovery mode after a long season is have someone else speak, which you did last week and this week, and move mulch and dirt. So I have spent the week moving six yards of, mul- of dirt around our yard and 10 yards of mulch around our yard. I feel fantastic. I'm sure. But I'll tell you what. You got to do that kind of work, the Quest 22 playlist. Just let that thing, my neighbors think I'm mentally insane because I have no problem singing out loud off key. I have no problem stopping and doing an occasional dance or an occasional whatever the, whatever the motion of the moment is. I'm even yesterday, I'm digging right at the point that the song talks about digging deeper and I'm like digging to the rhythm. It was, it was the best, man. As long as you didn't so, dig into your internet cord, that's uh, good. Well, I, I, I thought of you several times. So anyway, you're, you're looking for some good energizing music, that is it. Yeah. And, and like I said, there's nothing like a wheelbarrow and seven scoops at a time all around a yard. <laughs> I feel fantastic. So you, on the other hand, had a really interesting follow-up to last week's sermon. Here yeah. you're talking about the love uh, that you can get from a dog and comparing that to the love of God. And then God gave you a very practical example this week. Yeah, I, I felt the love of a dog in a different way, a very protective dog. See, I'm trying to get back into running. I've taken over as head coach of the cross-country team over at Shannon Junior High. And uh, so I'm like, well, if I'm going to ask these kids to run a mile or two or three, I better be able to do it as well. So I've been trying to get back into shape, back into good, decent running shape so I can say, you know, hey, we're going out at this pace and we've got to go this far and I can do it with them. And I get to the end of what was a five-mile run. I'm literally, I had just turned onto my street and I'm passing the second house on my street. I've got a quarter mile to go. I am completely spent because I, of course, went out in the heat of the day. I am just like, if, if you could have seen my lips, it looked like I had just run 26 miles. I mean, I am like a, just a shriveled raisin at this point, but soaking, just soaking in sweat. So I'm beat. And I, out of nowhere, kind of felt like I was tripping. I'm like, am I just losing it? And then I felt this little pinch kind of like those biting flies that you get at the beach. You're like, oh, what the heck? And as I'm mid-stride, I look down to go swat this biting fly and realize that's a dog's snout. <laughs> I got bit by a dog right on the inside of my thigh. Now, thankfully, I, think I, had, I scared him. He was in his front yard. I actually saw the dog as I was passed. I waved and everything. I, th- I think I just freaked Did him out. Did he wave back? N- no, okay. No. <laughs> Never mind. He had a, a little ball in his mouth. Yeah. And the owner claimed, like, as I, you know, he nipped me, I started bleeding down to my ankle, and, uh, and I, I stopped just to tell the owner, I'm like, ah, I get it, it's all good. And I didn't really realize, again, I'm exhausted, I didn't realize what was going on. And I look at the dog, and he still has this little ball in his mouth. So it, the owner's like, he was just trying to play. I'm like, that, you need to teach your dog how to play. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm thankful that the dog did have the ball in the mouth, because otherwise I'd be missing a bigger chunk out of my leg. That is fun. Yeah, fun week. Lot, lots of so good So sorry stuff. to disparage all the cat people in the room last week. Here we talked about how bad cats can be, and no, the dogs can be just as bad sometimes. Cats never bite, <laughs> right? Well, so you've waited for weeks now for some video footage. And, and so we're not, we're not gonna waste another moment. We're gonna start with the Quest video. And I think that the thing that's cool, uh, they're cool about both of them, but 
if you are part of Quest or not part of Quest, you will quite literally get a taste of everything that went on at Quest. I mean, when, when kids talk about this being an incredibly fun week, you get to see it in three minutes. So I feel like I should say, dim the lights, Kira. Let's go. <laughs> I promise you over the last three or four days, my neighbors yeah. more than once have heard, nah, nah, nah. I love that song. I'll tell you what, that song, I, I, was, I was commenting to Shelly the other day that she has a way of beautifully ruining songs for me <laughs> because uh, she puts them to video and then I can never not see the video again as the song is playing. So ruin in the most wonderful yeah, way. Yeah. I hear friends, uh, best friends start, and I can see the vans descending on Green <laughs> Lake. You know, those images are there, but that particular song, you know, we have the playlist playing to the point that, that uh, leaders are getting nauseated during the week. They're like, I just want a different song. <laughs> and uh, when I'm standing under the tent, that song comes on, and those words, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I just, the idea that this might be my last day, I want to live it absolutely fully, that this is my purpose. And to look out at that tent and see those kids and know, I mean, there are men and women who took a full week off work in order to be a part of that week because they know that this is what really matters. The souls of children is what really matters. And that investment, you know, when, when Jesus talks about eternal investments, that there it is right there. That was an eternal investment. And so that song being part of that video just has particularly special meaning for me because, I, I, again, I, I had that moment. I'm literally, how these songs can play, and I get teary. You know, I go, I go between energized and, and just so emotional uh, thinking about the, the great, great week that we had together. So you want to add anything to that, or are you good? No, just that I, I like, almost want to go back. Oh. And thinking about the, the rain that we had this morning, I don't know how bad it was out here, uh, but driving from Frankfurt to Shanahan today, the, I mean, it was torrential. And to see the, the different spots around our property that we wouldn't have been able to host oh, yeah. some of those things, the way that God just protects that week of camp. And that, you know, we mentioned it in an overseer meeting, that, that doesn't happen by accident. Right. That happens through the, the prayer and the fasting that, that we did as a whole body, as yeah. a church yeah. together. Um, in praying for the week. So, so again, thank you for your participation in that because you made it a great week. We've had a couple, week, a couple times since then. That detention hardly ever gets water in it. We could have had canoe races out there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been a lot of water. So you got your weekend update yesterday. Just want to call attention to two things. The baptisms we had scheduled for today, we're going to delay, mostly because not just rain, but those occasional rumbles of thunder. And yesterday, you know, I wanted to move mulch, and I looked at the app, and it said I could start at 9 o'clock, and I don't think it was like 12.30 before it finally all quit. So looking at radar today, it's like, you know, this is going to go on throughout the morning. So we'll go ahead and reschedule some for next week and some in future weeks as, as they're available and as the sun comes out. The other thing, though, that this, this coming Saturday night, if, if music is what moves you, if that's what really helps you to connect with God in an incredibly meaningful way, uh, we have a night of worship planned for you. It's at 7 o'clock here. Many of, the, many of the songs that we've done in the past that you haven't heard in a long time, some new songs as well, all blended together beautifully. So a night of just uh, singing, praying, enjoying the presence of God. Uh, so hope that, you will, hope that you'll be able to join us for that. We're going to uh, head to communion right now. 
And uh, as we do, Shelly kind of pulled a little surprise here and is doing a song that, that I particularly love. Uh, it's a song that uh, she's been in the car more than once. You know, just start break down during this song because it talks about, man, I, I, want, I want my family, I want my kids to know um, what really mattered, what was of real value in my life. And this song at the, at the end of uh, Janet Swank's memorial service. Janet was here literally since 1963, integral part of our, our lives. We played that. And her family just, I love it because it starts by talking about um, if I had a testimony. And Janet would always say, I don't have a testimony. I'm like, hey, you didn't live a life of crime and violence, but you sure have a story. You have a story of God uh, really making a difference in your life. So uh, think today, think today long and hard between the Quest video and this song. What are you doing with your life? Are you spending it in a meaningful way? Are you spending it for God? Are you just, are you just playing Tinker Toys? You're just building Legos that some bully's going to come along and kick down. What are you doing with your life? And start living it for God. Commit to living it for God. I'm old and gray. 
listening to a sermon on the way in, clicking through the radio, and somebody local on a station out of Ottawa, and they were talking about a particular Hollywood starlet who's on her 23rd man, literally. And, um, and those are the ones we know. And he said, she doesn't know it, but she's searching for God. Searching for God. And I think that so many of us are living our lives, we're spending our lives trying to figure out what, what's going to finally bring that meaning, that satisfaction. And uh, I, don't, I don't know where you are in life. If you're 20, you still got some to go. If you're almost 60, uh, meter's about out of change. And, uh, you know, you, you got you to gotta figure it out. You got to figure it out. You got to figure out how you're going to spend your life and spend it for God. And when you do, you finally realize the joy and satisfaction that you've been looking for, but you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. You've just been, you've been looking for it in the wrong places. God has something great for you. So, like I said, Quest, there are people who, men and women who give up a week of work. And the same is true for Green Lake. Year after year after year, we have leaders and, and people that, that put everything aside to go get exhausted at a place, not, not just to do work, and we do a lot of work, um, but, but to really enjoy being together and building into lives. And I, I think in many ways for, for a lot of the people, the adults of our church, that happened in an even more meaningful way this year as we, we broke the kids down into family groups. So rather than simply being with your grade, you were with a particular leader all week long, a handful of you, and, and I think some really deep, meaningful conversations as well as connections uh, took place through that. So it was, it was an incredibly fun week. And I think a, a piece of it that we've talked about already that was so meaningful for me was going back to that verse, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. 
Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift God has given him through the, raise, through the laying on of hands. And that verse for me was a cornerstone verse my first year away when I did a summer at, uh, at Word of Life in, um, in the Adirondacks. And, and so that, that verse coming back and, and walking through that once again was powerful. We've been unpacking that over the last few weeks. We've looked at the spirit of power and love. And now today we're looking at uh, the discipline of self-discipline. The way I memorized it was power of a sound mind, um, uh, self-control. All those different words are used for this particular word. But before we go there, um, we're going to pump up the energy a little bit. And, and what you'll learn through this video is I never learned, I don't know how they do this. So anyway, here's Green Lake for you. Oh, man, so much context that you'll need to ask about later on because so many of those clips and those videos, oh, man, a uh, lot, a lot of fun. A lot of really moving, meaningful um, interactions. I, I just love that week and what it does for our group, pulling us together. Um, so just to, to get started, I, I do want to point out that we've been getting a lot of questions about when, when does Revive and when does Refuge start back up. We're going to start our regularly normal times, 6 to 8 on Sundays for, refu- or for Revive with the high schoolers, 6.30 to 8.30 with Refuge um, and the junior hires, the week that school starts, which is still a couple weeks away. So that's August 14th and August 17th, respectively, 14th for Revive, 17th for Refuge. That'll be where we get back to our regularly scheduled programming. But we do have a couple more things coming up. Our Dinger Derby slash Disc Day has been thwarted again by rain. So we're going to push that to next week. So next Sunday after baptisms, we'll go try this one more time and hopefully uh, we can get that in. We're also next Wednesday night going to be uh, doing a minute to win at night for Refuge. So we had a ton of fun at Bob's. Uh, this, past, uh, this past Wednesday, and I say Bob's, specifically because Stephanie made sure that she was as far away as she possibly could be. She was in, uh, on a work trip in San Antonio, and as their house and their pool was filled with almost 30 junior hires. It was a lot of fun, a good time. Um, but, so we're going to take this week off, so nothing today or this Wednesday. But next week, again, we'll try going back out to the Shannon Fields after baptisms to do our home run derby slash ultimate frisbee day, and then next Wednesday night, as I said, a minute to win at night before we get back to our normal uh, schedule here in the fall. So on that last, that last night of camp, Thursday night, everybody's exhausted, we're all tired, and we found out that the space that we had been using throughout the week was unavailable. So we had been doing music, our teaches, eating breakfast, uh, hanging out, doing a uh, spike ball tournament in this one primary area, this one big room. And there was another group that was coming in after us, as it tends to happen, um, that needed that space. They had paid for it, so we, we actually helped set up the room for that following group, and then we were kicked out into a new area. And you saw in that video, uh, there was a time where we had all the guys on the ground uh, taking a knee, uh, and it looked like everybody was praying, and then you had all the girls, all the tears, and all the the Kleenex that you could see, um, that, that was from that, that final night. We were actually in the, uh, the gym at the conference center, and so they have this basketball court that used to be a pool, so it is not exactly built for um, 
for 120 people to be in because it's, it gets really humid really quickly. And if you know anything about camps, the last night is certainly the hardest to speak at. Uh, it is, it is ex- everybody's exhausted, including yourself. And I actually took the time that day, I told everyone that I was not writing my teach. I told them this at the beginning of the week. I was not writing um, my teach for self-discipline until Thursday. This was in part a practice for me, seeing that if I had the self-control to just put it in the hands of God. And, um, and on Thursday morning, instead of going out to work detail, I sat down and for a couple hours, spent time digging into the Bible and, and t- reflecting on what we had learned throughout the week and mixing that in with some mo- moving and meaningful passages that led to a night that was unlike any other. It was really, really special. And I'm not able to do the exact same thing tonight uh, or today because that night I actually kicked the the boys out of the room at one point. I kicked the girls out of the room at one point, And this is where I announced them. I said, you know, Riley and I, we're we're having our first child. And that's when the water work started. And I told them that I was going to speak to them as though I was speaking to my first child. I don't know if my first child is going to be a boy or a girl. I do know that it is kicking and kicking a lot, um, which is exciting. But Riley has made the decision that we are going to be de- surprised in December, which is something I totally agree with. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but so I, I said in that light, knowing that I wouldn't get to, to know, I want to speak to you, to each group, to the boys and to the girls, as though I'm speaking to, to my first boy or my first girl. Um, so I actually had broken it up and separated some things out. And we were finishing off talking about this, this passage from 2 Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I'm going to be using self-discipline and self-control interchangeably. I know that if you are a dictionary nerd or someone who's really you know, done deep studies on this, you're like, wait, but they're different. Yeah, they are, but they're not. So I'm going to be, if I say self-discipline, self-control, I'm, I'm using those terms interchangeably today, just, um, just so you're aware. In part, because we see in other sections of the Bible and other passages that they are, used, um, they are used interchangeably, particularly when we um, reference the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit gives us this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I believe just as love is at the beginning of that on purpose, that self-control or self-discipline is at the end of that list on purpose. You see, I see it as like the the cornucopia that all the other fruits are held in. You have love, which is the the lens that we see things through, that if you don't have love, you can't experience the other fruits. You cannot share the other fruits if you don't have love. But similarly, that self-discipline or self-control really holds and binds everything together. Do you know what a cornucopia is? Now, if you're Older than me, you probably do, but if you're younger, I was talking with some kids at camp and I brought up this idea of a cornucopia and they're like, is that the thing from the Hunger Games? Yeah, I mean, it was just in a very, very different light. So uh, this is a cornucopia, okay? Not filled with weapons for, for kids to attack each other with. Instead, filled with fruit or other things from, from a harvest. I'm going to give you uh, the breakdown in Latin. Cornu means 
horn and copiae means abundance or plenty. So the cornucopia literally means horn of abundance or horn of plenty. And there are a couple of Greek myths that go back to the, when you're looking at the, the history of the cornucopia, why it was named that way, there are a couple different myths. Um, one that involves Zeus. Zeus was hiding from his father, Cronos, uh, because Cronos ate his children. I, Greek mythology is crazy, people. Um, but during this time of hiding, Zeus accidentally broke off the horn of one of the the goats that was feeding him, and this horn then proved to give him all that he needed, all the sustenance that, that Zeus needed to, to uh, have in order to become the, the great Greek god that he was. Um, so that's one of the, the original thoughts behind this, is that this horn was something that, that was all-providing, that was, that was sustaining throughout time. And there's another that involves Hercules that I'll make you look up on your own because it's even weirder. Okay, But so there you have it. We have love, that, as we spoke about last week, um, is a spirit-filled gift that we filter everything through. We have, when we have love, we, we dispense all the other things and all the other gifts through love. In fact, Paul's final instructions uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in verse 14, he says, do everything in love. And then to wrap it all up, to wrap up the, the spiritual gifts and the fruits of the Spirit, we have self-discipline, a.k.a. self-control, to hold and bind everything together. It's by using self-control and by practicing self-discipline that these other fruits are able to spill out abundantly. As you see in this horn here, the, the fruits don't stay contained in this horn of plenty. Uh, it, it spills over. It's supposed to be this sign of abundance. You most likely have seen it on the Thanksgiving table. You know, I know my, my grandparents had um, something similar to this, and I'd, like, it was filled with fake fruit um, that you didn't want to eat. But, so the horn of plenty is this idea that we've, we've come to the end of the harvest season. Now we have all these, these things that we are able to enjoy. Now, I could end right there, uh, but I still have about 20 minutes. So hang tight. We're going to get through this together, okay? I think I want to start with a couple of distortions that society has placed on self-discipline. First, self-discipline or self-control, it's been distorted first in its definition. The people will claim that self-control or self-discipline is simply this, the ability to stay focused on a goal in order to minimize weaknesses and avert perceived threats, dangers, or anxieties related to that particular goal. What I have a problem with in this, uh, in this definition is that it leads to a list of do's and don'ts, but mostly don'ts. If you want to lose weight, don't eat all the gushers. If you want to uh, become a great runner, well, don't sit on the couch. It puts it in a lens of negativity. We live in this this space, when we, when we think of self-discipline as just saying no to everything, that we actually are in a more passive state. That as long as we don't do certain things, then we'll be okay. And that's not what self-discipline or self-control is about at all. In fact, we are supposed to be taking action. We're supposed to be doing things to practice self-discipline or practice self-control. If we look at it in one definition that Pastor Tim Keller gives, he says it, that self-discipline is the ability to do the important thing rather than the urgent thing because your desires are properly 
ordered. This means that you are learning how to respond and not react. Much like that dog that nipped me, um, if, if he had practiced self-discipline, he would have sat and watched me and maybe even come and run alongside me instead of just reacting and taking a chunk out of my leg on Thursday. So it's the ability to do. I, I want you to, to, to really grasp onto that idea that self-discipline and self-control is doing something. It is still taking action. It is not simply saying no. I want you to think of a, a a dog again, and think of a piece of floppy bacon on its nose. The dog that practices self-control will be staring at that piece of bacon, drooling like crazy, uh, until its owner gives the command to, uh, to eat the bacon. And then once it is told you can do this, then it goes crazy. But the dog without self-control or without self-discipline, the dog that I own, you put a piece of floppy bacon on there, it's gone before, uh, before it even hits its nose. So, uh, maybe an easier way to see this is through something that many of us have seen. Uh, I know that if you are a student in my social studies class or if you are a student at Refuge or Revive, you have seen or heard of something called the marshmallow test. The marshmallow test is a wonderful experiment that was conducted uh, many years ago, and there's a, there are actually several YouTube videos on it, but I suggest if you go and watch this later, Check out the one that has these kids in it. It's one of the first options that pops up. And these kids are hilarious. The basic premise is that a child is placed in a room by themselves or maybe with one other person, and they're completely alone in this space that they don't know. And all that they get, as you can see, is a marshmallow, one single marshmallow, sitting on a plate in front of them. The instructor of the experiment will come up to the child and say, okay, Timmy, Johnny, Sarah, whatever. If you don't eat the marshmallow, if you can refrain from chowing down, I'm going to come back in a little while. I'm going to leave you here. Don't eat the marshmallow. And when I come back, I will give you a second marshmallow to eat. So if you can just hold off on eating this marshmallow, then I'll give you a second one. And you see all the kids, all, well, all but one of the kids, hears that, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, and they get really excited. But they, the, the kid has no idea how long the conductor of the experiment is going to be gone. So then they go through the stages of grief, almost. You can see in this, this is my favorite guy. This is like our, this is the, the main character of this marshmallow test, because he goes through every single emotion possible. Initially, he's like, yeah, I can do this. And then he, he literally keeps looking at the door and, oh, where is she? And then, like, he, you can see him, like, he's gritting, he smiles, he's sad. And then you can see in the, the middle picture there, just the all-out agony, I just want the marshmallow. And then, as time passes, you see he starts to smell it. At one point, he even puts it into his mouth, but doesn't take a bite. He pulls it right out and then goes right back to, oh, no. I can't eat the marshmallow because then I won't get the second one. Well, the problem with the experiment that I saw was that many of the kids, all, literally all but one of the kids, were able to leave the marshmallow on the plate, but not all of them left it in the same condition. See, this guy, through his agony and pain, was able to ultimately leave the, the marshmallow completely intact and unlicked on the plate. But others... They were taking little nibbles. 
They were licking it. They were sniffing it. They were trying to trade. They take a bite out of the marshmallow and then try and trade with the person sitting next to them to make it look like they weren't the one that took the bite out of the marshmallow. The problem then with the experiment is that when the adult came back into the room, as long as there was some semblance of a marshmallow on the plate, the kid got a second one. There was only, as I said, one kid. They placed the marshmallow down, and she didn't even finish the sentence saying, if you can hold off on eating this, I'll give you a second. And as soon as she said second, the girl pops it in her mouth. She's like, nope, I don't even care. <clears throat> so I think, I think part of, part of the, the struggle that we have with self-discipline is in the definition, um, understanding that that self-discipline and self-control is not just not doing something. In fact, it's the opposite. It is actually taking action. But then the second would be with this experiment, as we see, it's almost this, this idea of duplicitousness. Or the, the lie that because you didn't get caught, the lie that because you got away with whatever you were doing and nobody noticed that you practiced good self-discipline, good self-control. The kids that took little tiny nibbles, even though they were on camera, they didn't know they were on camera, um, but they took little tiny nibbles, or they, you know, there was one kid who very creatively picked up the marshmallow, picked out of the middle, and then set it back down so it still looked perfect, (laughs) but still was rewarded with the second marshmallow. So we have this idea that, oh man, I, I didn't get caught. And I'm being rewarded because I practiced good self-discipline. I didn't eat the marshmallow. And there might only be one tiny little bite left, but I didn't eat the whole thing. So this, this distortion really, um, really, really um, hurts our, our picture of self-discipline or self-control, especially when we're trying to look at it in a biblical context. Avoiding consequence is not self-control. It's not the same thing. There are two Proverbs Uh, that explain this, the difference between having self-control and a lack of having it. The first is in Proverbs 25, 28. Here's what it says. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Ancient cities could not survive without walls. I think when when we look at pictures of American cities, part of the reason we like looking at them is for their beautiful skyline. And Chicago has a great skyline, right? People who have taken pictures from Lake Michigan or, you know, from off in the distance or even from planes. You see the skyline of Chicago and you're like, wow, that is amazing. Ancient cities didn't have that. If you had a picture of an ancient city skyline, it would just be a big wall. Or at least the powerful cities. You just see this big wall and you're like, well, there's, there's nothing really exciting to see here. But the wall was critical to the, to the success and survival of powerful ancient cities. So in Proverbs, when, when the people of that time are being told, if you don't have self-control, you're like a city without walls, this would have made perfect sense uh, to the people. They would have understood, oh, well, I might be a city, I might have power, but if my walls are broken down, then, um, then I'm not going to truly be able to live the life that God wants me to live. They couldn't survive without walls. And this, the, the other thing about these ancient cities is that they'd have a tower. They would have at least one giant tower. And the tower was a place that you went to for protection. You see, the most important people, kings, queens, lead guards, whatever, they would all be stationed or live in this, in this tall tower. The special thing about the tower is that it would be double-walled. In many instances, these towers would be the most solidified fortress within the city's walls. 
So again, later in, in Proverbs, when, um, when it says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress, fortress and the godly run to him and are, are safe, this would have made perfect sense to the people of biblical times as well. Because when the city was under attack, if you wanted to be safe, if you wanted to be completely protected, you would run to the tower, the safest place in the city. But if there is a hole in the wall, then the wall is essentially useless. And I'm going to give you an example here um, that I'm going to geek out a little bit. I, I'm not the, the typical nerd um, in, in terms of like superheroes and stuff. I love the superhero, like the Marvel movies are all awesome. But I couldn't tell you one bit about the storyline. I don't geek out about that. And I actually, uh, to my shame, uh, my Chad Uphoff has gotten on me for this. A couple other people, um, I, I am cautious to even say this with Rod Carlson in the room and, and Patrick Ojoado in the room, but I actually haven't seen all the Star Wars movies. Um, so I am not the typical, I'm not the typical um, like nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff, but I am a complete and utter nerd for the Lord of the Rings. So you're going to get a Lord of the Rings example here today. In the second movie, for those of you who didn't read the books, the second movie, The Two Towers, uh, there is a, there's a battle. There's a battle that, that really brings everything to, to a head. We have Sauron and his army of created beasts called orcs. Um, they are trying to wipe out men. They want to, to destroy men because they see men as having uh, really ruined Middle-earth. So they want to wipe out men and then uh, take over control of Middle-earth. Well, the men don't want to be wiped out. So King Theoden, when, when he notices that, you know, we, we've been coming under attack from all these orc um, tribes that are just blasting through town after town after town, we need to go to our safe place. So they go to a place called Helm's Deep. And if you can see here, this is a map, and if you've, if you've watched the movie, the, the back side here, uh, this is where the, uh, the people would have been. So the ramp that, every, that they bring the battering ram up to is right here because this is the main gate. Uh, but this is where the orc army was, and this is where all the people were. This is where the elves were standing as they were firing arrows down at the orc army. It's incredibly impressive. It's a wonderful movie. I encourage you to watch it. Get through the first one. I'm, I'm just telling you, get through the first one so you can watch the second one and have this context. But this battle of Hornburg, it's also called the Battle of Helm's Deep, we see the people... Um, the people flee to Helm's Deep for safety. You see, they're dug out into the mountains. So they, their, their fortress, their protection is literally, as you can see here, in a mountain range. So it's been carved out. They have the strong tower. They have all this, all this area, and they have a big, tall wall. So the people are, are hidden, and they're protected, and they're safe. This massive army that you can see of evil um, unhuman beasts comes to destroy um, Thaden's people, they, the people of Rohan who are hiding behind the wall. At one point, the, the, the men are winning. They actually, they have the help of the elves, and the elves are expert marksmen. They're just ripping off arrows, just like you saw in the camp video, just tearing down these orcs. And at one point, the leader of Rohan, Thaden, says, really? Is this all you've got? Well, those were fateful words. Because just a, a moment later, we see this, uh, this beast who finds a spot in the wall. You see, there's, there's one imperfection in the wall, and it's just a drain. 
It's a simple drain because, as you could see in the map, there was a river that ran through because they're in this canyon. So it runs through not just, um, the, not just through Helm's Deep, but through the rest of the canyon. So there's one, there's one weak spot in the wall. And the problem is that Sauron knew this. He knew this, and he sent this terrible thing, this Urukai berserker, this monstrous, you know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson-sized thing to go destroy the wall from that wall's weakness. And just after Thaden says, really, is this all you've got? This berserker who goes on a kamikaze mission to run into uh, the drain with uh, essentially a bomb, blows up the wall, and all is ruined. You see Thaden's face immediately go from proud to ghost white. Everyone is panicked because they now know the wall has been destroyed from this weakness, and now we're going to be overrun. I'm not going to spoil the rest of it for you, even though it's almost 20 years old. Come on, people, get on it. All right? <clears throat> but getting back to the Bible, we learn in Proverbs 16:32 that it's better to be patient than powerful. It's better to win control of yourself than of whole cities. The goal of Theoden and keeping his people safe was to have this powerful fortress. But we see that one weakness in the wall, one lapse in self-control in our lives, would ultimately lead, lead, can lead to destruction as we see here. Similarly, we see that the idea of, of, patience, um, of patience being important. It's better to be patient than powerful. I know a lot of people like going to the gym and working out. And if you told the, people, the gym rats who are there day in, day out, that it's, it's actually better to be patient than, than to be strong like you. They're going to laugh at you and probably sock you in the mouth, right? But that's because people, I think, sometimes mistake self-control with patience. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it's separated out for a reason. So when we think about self-control, when we think about self-discipline, it's not the same thing as patience, Self-control allows you to keep your mind focused on God, all while conquering the temptation of your own desires. We all face temptation in our lives, and it's self-control or self-discipline that helps us fight through those temptations. Not to just avoid them, and not to have this big, beautiful wall just with one small weakness that in case the enemy ever gets there, it'll blow up. But you know what? We're mostly under control, so it's mostly good. No. Facing temptation with the spirit of self-discipline, the spirit of self-control that God gives us when we enter into that relationship with him gives us an ability that, that the rest of the world doesn't have. So the, the key point here, before we get into three quick Bible stories, is that in order to have self-control, you have to learn how to lose control. And that's a really difficult thing for us to understand here in 2022. We think that we need to have it all together, that we need to have all our ducks in a row, that everything needs to be, you know, we need to have enough money to do this, and we need to um, have the right job, the right car, the right house, the right everything. Everything needs to be perfectly in order, the right, you know, I need to go to the right college, this, that, and the other thing. So to think about the idea of losing control, that's something that would probably well up anxiety in people. But as we see in three Bible stories, Losing control, giving up control, relinquishing control is not just about giving up. It's about giving control to something else, and that something else is God. But you must have that spirit of self-control in order to be, be able to do that. So our first example from 1 Samuel chapter 24 is of David and Saul. And this is a familiar story. If you go back to, to chapter 19, 
We actually see, uh, this is just after you know, David's been anointed king, and Saul doesn't like that. Saul, who's king at the time, he wants his bloodline, Jonathan, his son, to be the next king. So when he passes on, he wants that power to stay within his family. When he finds out that David is now the anointed king by God, it strikes a chord with him. Uh, it really makes him angry. And th- throughout these five chapters, we actually see that anger build up in Saul. We actually see one, at one point, David is playing a, a lyre, which is like a mini harp. And Saul, even though he had just promised Jonathan, I won't kill David because he's your best friend. And I know, I understand God's plan. He gets so angry while David's playing this mini harp that he hurls a spear at him, misses. Uh, and then David goes on the run. So Saul, even though he had made this promise to Jonathan, I will not kill David, he starts hunting him down. He goes after David, because he has a complete and utter lack of self-discipline. He knows that David has been anointed king, by, the future king, by God. And yet, because he is completely lacking in self-control, he tries to take control of the plan. And there's a, a point in this story, in chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, where we see David with the opportunity to kill Saul. David was hiding with his men in a cave, And Saul comes in to do his business, to relieve himself, as we all have to do. That is one of the most vulnerable times in your life. When you are using the restroom, there's nothing you can do. You can't, like, stop in the middle and be ready to fight. No, you are completely and utterly vulnerable. And David sneaks up behind Saul because, again, Saul, by the power of God, or by the the will of God, enters the same cave that David's in. David sneaks up and cuts a piece off of Saul's robe while he's relieving himself. And then to prove that David had no intention of of taking Saul's reign from him, comes out and says, look, I've got a piece of your robe. I could have killed you, but I know that that's not the plan. God's plan is for you to live out your time as king and then for me to take over. If I had killed you in that spot, I would not have been practicing the self-discipline that God has given me and therefore not living in the will of God. So the truth that we can learn from this passage is that because I trust God, I can use self-control. But you need to trust God first. You need to enter into that relationship. The second story comes from Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a a story, uh, or it's a book just after Ezra, and we learn in Ezra and Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. We actually get the building of the uh, the second temple. And so in the rebuilding of that temple, we, we realize, as we just discussed, if there's, it's great that the temple's built, but if there's no walls around the city of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed, then that temple doesn't stand a, a chance. We need Jerusalem to have its walls rebuilt. And Nehemiah asks the king at the time, the Persian king, Um, whose name I will not try to pronounce in public, Um, he asked the Persian king, can I go rebuild the walls of my my home? Can I go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? And he's granted permission. He's actually even given some guards to go with him to help rebuild um, these walls. And as soon as he shows up, the the mocking and the ridicule comes almost immediately. There are some individuals in the story who, who say, there's no way you can do this. The job's way too big. Look at the job you're doing. If even a fox walked along the top of this wall, it would crumble and fall. So trying to really get to the heart of Nehemiah in this task and trying, trying to break him down. If, as if that wasn't enough, 
there are some tribes on the outside that, that came and threatened to attack. Well, Nehemiah's only got so many people. He could have tried to go out and you know, wipe out the people that are, that are mocking him and wipe out these, these hostile tribes um, so that they can build in peace because it's going to take a long time to rebuild these walls. Instead, what does he do? He trusts in God. He practices the self-discipline that God's given him, and he splits his group into two. Half of you will stand guard. Half of you will work. So they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days, which is an incredible task. Um, but it's redone because, he did, because Nehemiah did things God's way. The biblical truth that we can learn from that is that you can use self-control even when it's hard. Even when you're looking and saying, yeah, you're probably right. I can't rebuild this wall. Yeah, you're probably right. This isn't the best wall that's ever been built. Yeah, you're probably right. If you came and attacked me, you could destroy me. But I have faith in the God above, the God of heaven. And I, um, I, I rely on the self-discipline that he gives me rather than my own impulses. The last uh, biblical example that we'll look at is Jesus in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus, this is just after his bap- baptism, he goes to the wilderness for 40 days. And in that time, he is directly tempted by Satan. He's, he's pushed time and time again to, um, to relinquish the, the relationship and give up on God. Um, he, Satan tries to prove that, that Jesus has been abandoned. He's been left behind. And that if he just follows Satan instead, that everything would be all good. He'd be given everything that he wants. And I want to read Jesus' response. Jesus tells Satan, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by the word that comes from the mouth of God. In the next challenge, Jesus says, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And in the final challenge that Satan gives, Jesus' response is this, you must worship the Lord and serve only him. After these three challenges and Jesus' responses, the devil leaves him and angels came to take care of Jesus in the wilderness. Even Jesus himself showed self-control. Jesus God, God of all, creator of all, could have wiped out Satan in an instant during those challenges, could have said, nope, I'm going to prove my power right here, right now. I'm going to take you out of the game. He didn't. Instead, he responded. He, he responded with the self-discipline that he, as God, gives us through his Holy Spirit. So the truth that we can learn is that Jesus Jesus truly is the one that can help us when we're tempted. And I'm going to tell you, guys, self-discipline, self-control, it's not an easy thing to practice. It really isn't. But remember that in order to have self-control, you must learn how to lose control and truly lose control by giving it all up to our God in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the spirit that you give us that's able to transform every weakness we have through the power that you, that you give us. We thank you for the, the spirit that is able to transform all of our thoughts and feelings of being unloved or unworthy and rejected, hurt, and instead countering that with, with the spirit that shows us your unfailing, incomprehensible, and inseparable love. 
And finally, God, we, we thank you for the spirit that you give us that's able to transform all of our habitual and fleeting behaviors that come out through our thoughts, our words, our acts of pride, anger, fear, worry, stubbornness, and instead have those be conquered or conquerable by the spirit of self-discipline that you, you provide us when we enter into that relationship. We know that this is an eternal gift. This is something that will last forever. And we thank you endlessly for giving us that spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 I just want to reinforce, Brian, you know, you talked about the fact that um, self-discipline is not just about stop, quit, it, don't. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, we do think whether we're teaching our kids or teaching ourselves, we just need to stop, don't. And the Apostle Paul would totally agree with you. You know, we're going to be coming to 2 Timothy 2.22 in the next couple of weeks where it says, flee the evil desires of youth. And there isn't a period there. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So it's not enough to simply say, don't. But what are you going to do? What action are you going to take? And so we've now gone through this whole idea of, you know, we've not been given a spirit of fear and timidity. Our, our society lives in fear. Our leaders are controlling us with our fear. They're doing it. And um, that's not the spirit of God in us. The spirit of God in us is a spirit of power and courage. It's a spirit of love. And it's a spirit of self-discipline and self-control. Those aren't things we have to muster up. Those are things God has placed in you as a Christ follower. But for some of us, that flame is tremendously diminished. And it is time to fan it into flame once again. Remember who you are. You are a child of God. That's who you are. You are a child of God. So go this week and uh, remember that you don't have to live in fear and timidity. That's for the world. We're power, love, self-discipline. Have a great day. We're going to pump it up one more time. Let's go. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know?